Welcome to 30 Minutes of Growth, the all-action, all-growth marketing podcast that's all within half an hour. It features three segments with three playbooks you can use right away. And I'm your host, Alex Garcia. So let's do this. What's the secret growth weapon behind Culture Kings and Steve Madden? It's Yachtpo. I'm hearing great things about this e-commerce marketing platform. They're offering smart, data-driven solutions like Yapo SMS Bump, the top SMS marketing app in the Shopify app store. Right, you're probably interested, and it's easy. You could get a free demo by just going over to yapo.com and signing up. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes of Growth. Today, I have Andrew Gazdecki from MicroAcquire. Uh, Andrew, for the people that, that don't know you, can you give a quick intro to yourself, what you're building, and, and the things you've built in the past? Uh, first off, my name is Andrew Gazdecki. You pronounced my last name correct, so thank oh, you yeah. for that. And I'm terrible <laughs> at pronouncing last names. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur my, my whole life, I guess you could say. Uh, started off yeah, I don't know, selling stuff on like eBay. I was that weird kid selling like Pokemon cards when everyone was collecting them. I was trying to uncollect them over <laughs> to other kids. <laughs> Built multiple like small businesses, would make websites for, you know, bands and high school. So that's kind of like where I kind of started being like, oh, you know, you can make money on the internet, eBay, um, GeoCities, if anyone remembers that. Yeah. And so my first like substantial business or real quote unquote business that actually made decent money was a, a job board and it was just a script that I bought that was basically like an upward clone script you can buy. I don't know if you can still buy them, but I'm, I'm assuming you can. But I uploaded it to a server and then I just niched it to um, mobile developers. So it was called Phone Freelancer and it connected mobile developers with business owners to help them build a mobile app, um, specifically iPhone apps. And I launched this when I was uh, 20 and it was right when the iPhone first came out. No one knew where to get. I know time was was great with that (laughs) Um, and uh, sold that. I sold it for like, I mean, like 30K, but it felt like 30 billion. I, it was like, is this real? Like what? Yeah, uh, it, but um, yeah, so, but the reason I sold it was I kept seeing people post the same job over and over, specifically for like a high-end restaurant. And they'd want just like a loyalty program or the ability to just list their menu or a one-click button for directions or to call them. Really basic functionality and they were paying like 50 to sometimes 100k for these custom mobile apps and i thought okay well there's these do-it-yourself website builders what if there's this do-it-yourself mobile app builder platform and so i sold that and i used that as seed money for a company called uh business apps a very clever name (laughs) Uh, we we built apps for businesses and uh Fun fact behind the company name is um, the original idea was to cold call small businesses. So I felt yeah. if like, hey, this is business apps, they'd, they'd immediately be like, oh, it's apps for businesses. And uh, grew that for about eight years and then sold it to a private equity firm when I was nine, 29. And then just to give some texture on scale of the, the first business, um, we were named uh, to Inc. Magazine's fast growing companies two years in a row, number 52 and like number 91. It was just like a rocket ship. I I wrote a book about it. It's called getting acquired. If anyone wants to check it out. And it was such a weird experience going from like no job to this like fast growing. 
it was a total right place, right time business. But the the secret behind that was selling to a small business is, is brutally hard, I, I say. It's an in-person sale. You got to talk to the owner. There's a lot of trust. And so we built these global partnerships with all these different web agencies and even public companies all across the world. And they'd white label our software. And then we would just focus on this really advanced app builder. And they'd use it to build apps for all their customers as like a semi-custom solution. So we even sold our product to custom mobile app development shops. So once I exited that business, I started um, a crypto company and that company was called Altcoin. We were trying to uh, speed up times on the Ethereum blockchain using a layer two sidechain solution. Super, super technically complex startup <laughs> like I wish I took took a break, maybe never started that one, but um, made some progress, basically built out. The first use case of that was going to be a security token exchange, but to launch a security token exchange, there's a lot of regulatory stuff you have to get past with SEC, and we didn't want to go through that. The crypto markets were crashing, and so we sold that to a company called BNK to the future. And then, yeah, right now, um, I started a company called MicroQuire and I help uh, start a founder seller companies uh, completely free. Awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate you giving the rundown on how you got to MicroQuire because one, it's funny because there's so many people that are here in Austin that I know that like com- literally always sending me different businesses that they, they want to buy, et cetera, using MicroQuire. So it's, it's <laughs> awesome to have you on. The first topic I want to dive into is, so you've put out a few tweets that's like, for example, in the early stages of your startup, focus way more on sales, marketing, distribution than product. The other tweet says, uh, startup founders need to focus on sales and marketing more than product today. Times have changed. So let's say I'm building, I'm just building a startup, right? Like very early days. What would be the first few things that you would do marketing wise? I would go on every single podcast and just tell my story. I'd reach out to every single podcast and have a compelling story, not one made up one. Yeah. Why'd you start the company? Who are you? What's your background? Why, why does this company need to exist? Second thing I do is I would submit the startup to every single startup directory. There's a ton of them like product hunt, um, startup lister, beta list. There's a lot. I mean, that's just free exposure and just building in public. That's probably the top three things I do if you're not focusing really on product at the beginning, would you use like your learnings through your marketing to influence your product? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always say marketing is just sales at scale. Like those tweets that you're mentioning, you know, marketing today is kind of shifted in a way where I believe, you know, you don't want to market features and really what your company does too much. You want to become, you know, subject matter expert, in your field. And what I mean by that, I'll give you an example. So let's say you are a, you're selling to people like VP of sales. So you want to teach a VP of sales how to be better at their jobs. So the next time they're looking for a solution, your name pops up because they have gotten so much value from you. So you just give so much value over, you know, social media, over content. And then through that cadence, as you're you know, delivering value, you can have an ask in return. So you deliver value, 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 then you you know, can market your business. Like, oh yeah, I do this, X, Y, Z. 
So it's just like one kind of thought I have is just, just give as much value as possible to customers. Another tip would be if you're a little more advanced on the sales and marketing side is spinning up a, a big cold outbound email campaign. This is a little more, more complex. You need to buy a bunch of domains. You got to warm the domains up. You got to get a list of you know qualified leads. That can be a really good way to get in front of customers quickly to see if you know, really validate the business um, yeah. before you build the product. And then, yeah, just basically getting active on socials. Another one I'd, I'd throw in there. What would have been some of the, the best practices for you in building in public from going from not even knowing that you're doing it to now doing it well and, and using it to scale micro acquire? I always like marketing that doesn't feel like marketing i always like to say like micro acquired like turning my company name into like a verb because i think it's you know funny Uh, memes um making people laugh you know i think that's the stuff that people remember um because when people make purchases they do it with the emotional side of their brain and so if you know again if you've added value you've made them laugh you've stood out and you're not running the same marketing playbook as everybody else, that can be really, really powerful. And that's that's what I'm always thinking about in terms of marketing is, what can I do differently? What is everybody doing now? And then what's the exact opposite of that? And then I'm gonna do that. And just understanding that, you know, building startups, I think a lot of people lose sight that, you know, you build a startup, and this is why I'm so big on distribution and sales is because, you build a startup, let's say it solves XYZ problem and there's three, four or five other companies that solve XYZ problem. Yeah. But what you're really competing for is customer attention. You're really competing against thousands of other startups. And so, you know, you want to really build a brand that, you know, people share, like you just mentioned, people share micro acquire deals. Like you want to build a brand that people talk about, that people share and that, can really be like the most powerful way to, to build your business. And it's, it's hard to do. And you know, the key there is just being consistent. I mean, just doing it for years and years and years. Yeah. I think that's something that's so overlooked. It's like nowadays it's like a lot of people are hoping almost to go viral instead of actually just doing something consistently with then viral hits, you know, sprinkled in between. I would say if, if you can't commit five years to a venture, just don't do it. And that's not saying don't do it if you can't do five years. It's just, you know, I guess put a put a better way. Be patient. You know, there's so you you read about startups getting to billion dollar valuations in two years and stuff like that. And but you know, those are the outliers and most startups aren't special. And I think, you know, when you have a mindset of, you know, my startup isn't special and you gotta work really, really hard and you accept that. And then you turn it into like this fun game where you start to find, there's so many different, this is another maybe just off the cuff tip, but there's so many different ways to market your business. I would focus most on the one that you enjoy the most because you're going to be the best at it. If you're marketing your business in a way that's fun to you, but it's work to others, you're going to be more creative. You're going to laugh more. It's going to bring you more positive energy. And then that ties right back to consistency because like if you absolutely hate working out, you know, it's going to be hard to get up in the morning or whatever analogy you want to use. 
So that's that's maybe another tip is find out like what part of marketing you like to do and then focus on that. Yeah, I almost always say like as well as just focus on one channel, you know, at the beginning, like find the channel that you you actually like to be on to consume content on and that you like to create on because that's where you're going to you're going to do best instead of trying to, you know, master five platform channels at one time, you could be really good at one and 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 create this audience, you could create this loyal fan base on one and then scale from there and then use that as your distribution channel. I could not agree more. Yeah, I think if you spread yourself too thin, you know, you want to be great at a few things rather than good at just a bunch of things. Let's be real. Growth is the number one priority for e-commerce brands. But that only happens when you're providing a cohesive customer experience, and that's where Yapo steps up. With brands like Culture Kings and Steve Madden, already big fans, Yapo strengthens your relationship with customers through smart, data-driven solutions like Yapo SMS Bump, the top SMS marketing app in the Shopify app store. Plus, this platform integrates with the tools you use every day and is available on all major e-commerce platforms like Shopify, Salesforce Commerce Cloud, Adobe Commerce, and BigCommerce. Sounds good, right? So head over to yato.com for a free demo. The second topic I want to get into, and you and I have spoken about this before, was beef marketing. So this was, I loved this when you you did this, uh, I don't know if it was like nine months ago to a year roughly, but you created this beef between MicroAcquire and TechCrunch that took over Twitter like for for a while, right? Like it wasn't, it, it wasn't just like a weak thing. It was like going back and forth, sharing DMs, you know, like these like one-liners on Twitter, like why don't you guys just hire me and I'll do everything for you, et cetera. But then on the back end of it, you launched your own publication, right? Bootstrappers. During this, was it was like, was that the plan all along was like to create this beef and then to create the hype for bootstrappers? Or were you just like legitimately pissed at, at TechCrunch and then because of it, you like took matters into your own, own hands and, and launched bootstrappers? A little bit of both. So I grew up reading TechCrunch. I... Yeah. You know, business apps was featured in TechCrunch probably a dozen times. You know, I have a lot of support and admiration for that publication. It kind of inspired me to be an entrepreneur. I'd read it like first thing when I woke up when I was 18, like reading about like Dropbox raising a million bucks. Like I remember those articles or, you know, two people launching it. There was way less fundraising articles and it was just these like, really interesting startups that were just off the ground and you were maybe you were at like home plate and they were at like first base so like you know they were in arm's reach and then now TechCrunch today is this publication that just talks about huge fundraises and the next day the company raises another round of fun it just it's a venture capital blog it's just what it is and it and it's changed and the writers have changed and and so, yeah, I thought, you know, there should be a publication for uh, companies taking an alternative route, not saying venture or bootstrapping is, you know, they both have pros and cons. Every Everything comes with pros and cons and overhead. Um, but just no one was like supporting these badass companies, like, you know, owning their own business, like being profitable. I think that's awesome. Um and so, yeah, part of it was was very calculated because, <laughs> you know, to really get, uh, and I've done this with every company I've ever had, um, like with business apps, um, you know, our, our beef marketing play was, it wasn't a specific person, entity, publication. It was just small business versus big business. Our main pitch was, 
you know, Starbucks down the street can spend a million bucks on a mobile app to order from their phone. Like, like, is that fair? Like, you know, but we can help you compete with them and really, you know, take back customers from these mega brands. And then with Allcoin, it was more along the lines of like centralized versus decentralized. Um, so I've always been an advocate of kind of like, you know, really taking a stance um, and kind of fighting for the underdog, if you will. And so I felt this was just such an underserved segment of the market. And then imagine if I just announced it and I was like, hey, I just launched this blog. <laughs> or it's like, hey, TechCrunch, you suck. Like um, <laughs> all you do is write about venture-backed companies and you don't write about self-funded companies, bootstrap companies, profitable companies. Someone needs to fix this problem. And yeah, it was it was kind of fun. They're never going to write about microquire, but uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely something I believed in. That's another part about beef marketing is you got to believe it. Like if you're just doing it just cause like, oh, it's going to be a good marketing strategy. Like I truly felt like, you know, that publication had shifted from what it used to be over towards, you know, the other end of the spectrum of startups, which is just, you know, the venture back businesses. And so, yeah, it was kind of definitely calculated, uh, but also something I, I truly believe needed to exist just for the startup ecosystem. Because, you know, with younger entrepreneurs just reading about fundraisers and this is how you become successful as an entrepreneur, they think that's what being a successful founder is, building a billion dollar company, et cetera. And it's not, you know, you can build like a 500,000 year company and you're wildly successful. Yeah. And that's super awesome and should be celebrated. And so that's what I was trying to to really bring to light. Was there a tactical approach like on, on your end where it's like, like what was like kind of your playbook to do this before launching Bootstrappers? Well, I mean, just point out the, the biggest publication in the art. Like, hey, let's throw some shots at them and see if we can get, you know, some people to agree with us. And then it just started picking up momentum because we really were striking a chord in the started community where people really agreed with us, but it wasn't like a play by play, like, okay, this is what we're going to say. It was yeah. kind of just me from my iPhone. Like, Hey, here's something <laughs> I think is really funny. Yeah. Uh, my favorite one was like, I wrote something like, I highly recommend TechCrunch. They're a fantastic PR firm for venture capitalists. Saw, yeah. Yeah, that was my favorite one. I mean, that's what they are. Like, (laughs) and it's not, and I even like DM'd or like you can go and see tweets between me and some writers. And I even asked, I was like, okay, so if you, like, they're like, it's not true. And I'm like, what's the percentage of bootstrapped or non-funded startups you've written about over the past year? And just crickets. And it's like, okay, you've said enough. Someone that did this really well, I think it was 2007, uh, 50 Cent and Kanye West they did a contest where, so they, they, I think they like performed at um, some music awards and then they, they basically created this content and they created like this fake beef where they, they were like, we're both going to launch the same or an album on the same day. And whoever uh, sells the most albums has to retire. Like, and that was kind of their whole, and then, so they created this Uh whole feud setting up for, I think it was when Kanye dropped like the graduation and 50 was dropping, I think Curtis is Curtis album. And uh, yeah, and so they did this whole like just beefing for like six months before for dropping the album. Kanye destroyed him, but it was still like this like so much coverage, so much PR, et cetera. And it was it's it's very similar. It was like these these enemies, and then you know 
Kanye's loyalist fans are are pushing the album. 50's uh, most loyal fans are pushing the album. So it's like, I think there's a lot of lessons for startups in there. It's just you could you could look at how other individuals or companies have like used beef marketing to to kind of just create a very loyal fan base, right? Like you could really create a community outside of of something like this. And then yeah, you you really just building out loyalty. The one tip for anyone listening to this that I would add is keep it civil. Like, you know, there there is a line to be drawn. Don't ever make it personal. Don't ever personally insult someone. It's okay to have opinions and say just kind of funny stuff, but nothing that's going to like, you know what I mean? Um, There's like a line. You just, just don't cross that line, essentially. The third topic I want to go into is, is again, related to bootstrappers. And that's about building a media arm um, and companies and startups building media arms. And and I mean, you see, for example, HubSpot, you know, when I was at the, the Hustle, acquiring the Hustle and then building their own media or acquiring their own media arm for a startup now do you think it's essential to build a media arm or do you see it more as a competitive advantage i wouldn't say it's essential but man is it such a competitive advantage yeah um because i mean bootstrappers.com so microquire we we help mainly bootstrap startups sell and get acquired we do work with a lot of venture-backed businesses and really startups of all shapes sizes fundraises, whatever. But we prefer and to work with bootstrap startups because they're the ones that get the least amount of optionality when it comes to selling their business. Um, another, you know, to kind of going back to beef marketing too is, you know, a big marketing campaign for microquare was against just business brokers. Like I was constantly saying like, hey, like founders, you don't need to pay 15% to sell your business. Like these people are ripping you off. So that's like kind of another sort of like, you know, angle that I took and still take to this day. And that's something I truly believe. And I've actually seen some, you know, brokers even lower their fees, which I think is just a win for everybody um, involved. Um, but going back to your your question around, you know, thinking like a media company, I think it's, it's the best investment you can possibly make because, you know, when you create content, it it's just the gift that keeps on giving and you really are able to connect with your audience in a way that your competitors aren't like, for example, if your competitors main go to market strategy is B2B sales, like, you know, they have a bunch of SDRs, booking meetings. Um, you can grow really fast with a model like that. And it's very predictable, but if you just add on like a media component and you have air cover over your sales reps. And so what I mean by that is, Everyone's heard of your brand. Everyone admires your brand because you've added value. You're really not asking for anything in return. And when maybe they see that ad or they get that phone call from a sales rep or they finally decide it's time to use your product, you know, just having that exposure to your audience on a daily basis is extremely, extremely powerful. Um, and that's, that's how we operate, um, at microquare. I say, you know, to my team all the time, like our, our marketing strategy is to be a media company. You know, we want to create content it's not sexy, but sometimes doing the unsexy stuff is what pays off the most in the long run. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many benefits to, to having your own distribution channel, especially like, like bootstrappers, you're, you're getting people on your email list that 
are interested in this, right? Like this is the content that they like to consume. And then you have micro acquire the perfect marketplace to, to satisfy their needs when they're ready. Yeah. When you can combine it like a, like a media platform, like, or a publication and the way I would discern like a blog and a publication is a publication, like really tells like long form, like stories and, you know, it takes like probably two, three days to get a post up and a blog is kind of like, you know, just general, you know, topics. But if you can combine that with a product or service for that audience, it's very powerful. Um, and again, it is a very big competitive advantage. That's where I think like uh, a lot, like, for example, one of the things that I want to do with marketing exam is so right now the, the, the newsletters that are r- roughly getting two thirty k subs but with marketing exam, I think like in two, three years, there's a space where I could, I could add like a micro SaaS or a set, like some SaaS software that I create after I've, you know, I've spent two to three years building this audience, nurturing this audience, providing nothing, like you said, like nothing but value. Then there's a space where now I could provide a, like a SaaS on top of that. Plus like the media almost acts as like zero party data. I could get so much feedback from these individuals to create the right product right and can and i have someone to ship an mvp to i I have so much leverage having this audience that i could then create on the back end of it i think the biggest hack in and startups today is you know building an audience and part of that is you you can do it through thinking like a media company creating a publication you know being active on social media because when you launch that product you're right you have like a quarter million people that'll look at it and then probably a good percentage of them will immediately sign up for that. And then you can think of or acquire, or I should say micro acquire <laughs> more products. Um, put it this way. Um, when, when we wrap all this up, it's really, you know, you're building your brand. You know, you're building a brand um, that people trust. And when you deliver products to them, they're going to take a look. And David Cancel from Drift told me this one time um, about the three waves of SaaS that we've kind of gone through. And um, the first wave was in, in 2010, which was like just invention. So the winner was like the first person to make the product because it was so new. That would be like a business app. So like we were the first ones to say like, hey, we know how to make iPhone apps for small businesses and everyone's minds were blown. But now it's you know saturated and stuff like that. And then uh, 2015 was kind of the emergence of who could figure out the best go-to-market model. So that was, you know, who could basically, you know, figure out the best SDR to AE ratio, who could, you know, get the best LTV to CAT, all the, you know, basically who could build out the best revenue model the fastest. But now the last thing we have is um, brand because everyone knows go-to-market models. Everybody knows how to build startups. Building a startup has arguably been democratized. So when brand is the last thing that you have as a defensible moat, if you're able to have, you know, a loyal audience that you can, you know, sell products to, that's a strategy that can last decades. If you're able to build a lasting brand that, you know, has a large amount of customer affinity that really, really admire what you're doing and sees value in the work that you produce and the value you've created, you have an opportunity to deliver products that, Again, add value, but you're charging for them, but it doesn't really feel like you're selling products to them. It feels like you're helping them get better at being a marketer. You know, going back to my very first point of if you're selling to a VP of sales, teaching them how to be a better, you know, leader of sales. And in your case, 
teach people how to be better marketers and then build tools to help them do that. That's my favorite strategy right now in startups. I think it's it's this point where we're getting to where it's like affinity is more important than awareness at this point. You know, like a, awareness is someone knowing of your brand and affinity is somebody loving your brand. And so when I look at some companies that are doing it well, it's like Patagonia, for example. I don't know if you've ever checked out Patagonia's like YouTube channel, but they put out like almost like documentaries, like hour long videos, 20 minute, 30 minute videos of like, like fishing in their gear. Right. And it's, and it's videos that are getting millions of views and hundreds of thousands of views. And it just sells shirts. It's like, like Jeff Bezos. I think he has this line where it's like, when we make more movies, we sell more shoes, something along those lines. I don't know if you heard that line. Um, and the same thing goes with, uh, that show hot ones. Have you ever, have you ever watched that? The one that's like they do it like in an interview and they eat like hot, progressively hotter wings. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> so that show sold, I think it was seven million in, in hot sauce on the back end in one in 2019. So, no way. So, yeah. They sold because uh, there was an interview with the CEO of Complex. And he's like, we did more in revenue selling hot sauce than like from any ad component, from any monetization from YouTube. And it was, yeah, from selling, selling hot sauce. And the same thing kind of goes like, I don't know if you've seen this show, but like this is, it's called Cold as Balls with Kevin Hart, where they, he sits in an ice tank or an ice tub. He sits in an ice tub and interviews like, like another, like an athlete. So like, let's say Odell Beckham Jr. And, but it's sponsored, it's the whole thing is sponsored by or created by Old Spice, right? And like you, this show is going to help Old Spice sell deodorant, which is, what you're saying is it's just like it's brand. A brand will sell just about anything. If if you can get to that point where you're like you're almost becoming binge worthy and something that's part of somebody's day or part of somebody somebody's routine, um, and that's where like podcasts and newsletters come into play, then you could sell them just about anything. I would completely agree with this. And uh, you know, your examples are way better than mine, but I believe that's like how all the Kardashians make money. They just have a <laughs> you have a hundred million followers and then you just make a clothing line or a makeup line. But I do want to end with um, one more thing about brand too. um, Because I don't don't like the example I gave. Uh, Guess how Ferrari makes most of the money? No idea. Merchandise. Oh, I didn't know. I I think I read an article. Guess guess what percentage of their revenue comes from merchandise? Is it like 90? It's like 75%. Crazy. People just want to... You know, they created like a vibe, like, you know, I want a Ferrari shirt. I want a Ferrari keychain. Yeah. Um, so that's just another example of like the power brand. That's, yeah, that's phenomenal. That's a, that's a tweet right there. Yeah. It, it was probably, it was probably yours. I don't know. No, I, I haven't tweeted that out there or else I, <laughs> hopefully I wouldn't have gotten the, the number wrong. But man, I really, I really appreciate you coming on here. We'll have to run it back and, and excited for everything that you're doing and for, the people that are tuning in, where can they find you? Where can they read uh, bootstrappers, et cetera? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. If you can spell my last name right, Acastecki or microquire.com or bootstrappers.com or uh, just feel free to shoot me an email, Andrew at if, um if I can help in any way. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you for tuning in to 30 Minutes of Growth. If you want to hear more All Action Growth Insights, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast so you can hear our next episode first.